Hi, this is Mike Klonski of New England Wealth Management and my401kconsulting.com. In this interview, Brad McMillan, Chief Investment Officer at Commonwealth Financial Network, and I talk about the current economic and investment climate. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Fixed insurance products and services offered through New England Wealth Management. New England Wealth Management does not provide legal or tax advice. You should consult a legal or tax professional regarding your individual situation. Thanks for listening, and now to the interview. So today uh, I want to welcome Brad McMillan uh, to a brief interview with me to help our clients and others that listen to will be listening to this interview. Uh, Brad is Commonwealth Financial Networks, which is our my home uh, broker-dealer, uh, chief investment officer. Brad uh, has come on our radio show when we had it years ago. And it's always been really helpful in trying to uh, make uh, things that are really difficult to understand. You know, he's been always gracious to kind of help me out in terms of, uh, and, and clients out in terms of getting things in an understanding manner, especially today when things are really difficult. So uh, I thought I'd take a few minutes here to get Brad's thoughts on what's happening and what he thinks will happen next. So Brad, thanks for, um, thanks for taking the time this morning. Really appreciate it. Great to be here, Mike. And thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah. So let me just start with uh, COVID-19. And I know that you are consistently are constantly talking about the virus and where does it stand today? And where do you, you know, where is it going? And where are the infection rates and all these other things that are happening? Where do you see it heading? And I think also for me, and I think for anybody else that's listening, how do you, how do you actually track this data? I mean, are you using a government site or are there other ways that you actually are able to kind of tap into this to kind of help give us some understanding and vision about what's happening with it? That's a great question because all of this ultimately comes down to the data. Is it any good? And how do we interpret it? So let's start with getting good data. The problem is initially with the viral spread, there was no single reliable source. Each state was reporting data. Each country was reporting data. And initially the Johns Hopkins website was the best source aggregated data, but that really, after a while, that didn't really provide the kind of time series information that I'd like to see. So right now I use worldometer.com, which has proven to be a fairly good aggregator of country data, of individual state data, and you can actually track the country data over time, which is very helpful. So that's where I get my data. Another good source is the COVID tracking project that's tracking testing data here in the US. And I think those are the two most important metrics right now, the case count over time and the, tra- and the testing here in the United States. Okay, so in, in terms of that, are you, I, I think you seem like in last time I listened to what you were saying that you, you're a little optimistic in terms of the curves, maybe, maybe we're hitting a peak at this point, or is it not being measured correctly and is there more to come in the middle of the country versus the bookends being the east coast and west coast and is it filtering the other places or is it really slowing down and and is all of this social distancing having an effect to bring us back to some kind of normalcy that's a great question and that takes us to the second part of the data not just where it comes from but how do we look at it you know to go to the top line here there's a lot of talk about Oh, cases are going to peak. Oh, we're getting past, we're getting through the worst part of it. That's simply not true. Things are improving, 
the spread is slowing, but the spread is still positive. We're going to see case counts continue to rise over at least the next month. And it's important to be aware of that because that's what we're going to see in the headlines. And we need to not be surprised or upset by that. But at the same time, even though the case count is rising, the rate of growth of the case count is coming down. We've seen, we've seen case count growth drop by about half from about 15% a day to about 7.5% per day as of the past week or two. So we're seeing material progress. And in fact, what we should see if this rate continues is in the next couple of weeks, we should see the case growth stabilize as a percentage of the base cases. Now that means it's still going to go up, but that's a necessary first step. That shows that in fact, we are slowing the spread, that social distancing, and it's a pain in the neck, I get that, is working. So the thing we need to watch right now is the percentage growth rate, and that's getting better. And once that gets to zero, then we'll actually be able to talk about reducing the number of cases. Okay, so let's, let's look at that in terms of, I think in a couple of different ways, I want to address this real quickly. First of all, um, the markets recovered 50% from the lows in March, right? So we as were getting defensive prior to that and along the way. And what I said, what I said to clients, though, is that the first round of stimulus, I said, the stimulus package may be our Achilles heel. So I want to understand, you know, how is that really impacting what's happening? Because is there, you know, the market's rallying here because it's a COVID thing, or are they rallying because the stimulus is really going to have an impact? And my follow-on question to that would be, you know, the Fed is stepping in. Like, I can go, come, I'm actually thinking, like I said, I can come to the Fed window and hand them my used iPhone and maybe go out and buy, you know, they'll give me money so I can go buy a new one. So I'm wondering, how does all of this kind of work together? And the last thing I'll ask you, and I know it's a three-part question, is how does it affect us longer term? I mean, if we're, if they're going to – we're up, what, we're close to $5 trillion in stimulus now, and, you know, my guess is they'll even go deeper than that if they believe they have to. What does all this mean as it relates to, you know, the virus, the economy, and moving forward? Um, and I can repeat the questions if you want me to. I apologize for throwing them all at no, you at once. Those are great questions, and you're absolutely right. That's exactly what the market is wrestling with. So let's, let's take – there's three different pieces here. I like to look at this as first we look at the pandemic, next we look at the economic effects, and then we look at the effects on the financial markets because, of course, financial markets are trying to process what's happening with the pandemic and the economy. So let's start with the pandemic. I mean, the first thing that the stock market was looking at was, is this the zombie apocalypse plague? And for a while there, all of the coverage, the spread in China, the data seemed to suggest that, yeah, this might well be the zombie apocalypse plague. And it's not. Let's be very clear about that. This is not the zombie apocalypse plague. It's a real problem, but we know what to do about it. We're doing it. And as I just said, it's working. So the, first of all, the stock market is reacting to the notion that we are succeeding in flattening the curve, that this is certainly going to be difficult. For example, in New York, it's horrific in the health system. But broadly, even as it spreads across the country, and it is spreading across the country, we're starting to get a handle on it. So we've taken off some of the worst cases for the pandemic. We've taken that off the table, and the stock market has responded positively to that. Second of all, when you look at the economy, even as we're starting to get the pandemic itself under control, the economic damage is just starting. 
I mean, we've lost 16 million jobs in the past three weeks. And this was kind of inevitable based on the policy decisions that the governments have made. And those are good policy decisions. They're necessary. We're putting the economy into an induced coma to save the patient's life, which is all of us. But at the same time, that could well lead to a depression, you know, a big D depression. And when the market saw what was necessary because of the pandemic and because of the economic response, it priced in a depression. And that's pretty much what we saw with that drop. We've never seen a drop that fast and that hard. And the market was saying, oh my God, we're gonna have a depression. But since then, we found a couple of things. First of all, as I said, the pandemic is not, um, the pandemic is starting to be brought under control. We're succeeding in what we need to do. Second of all, for the economy, even though the damage is real, we now have federal programs, trillions of dollars, as you say, trillions with a T, that are specifically designed to combat the problems that we have. It's designed to support people's income. It's designed to support small businesses. And I'm hearing from people that some, some businesses have already started getting checks. So it's working. It's not working as well as it should. And there will inevitably be teething troubles, and you can expect to see those in the headlines over the next couple of weeks. But when you look at what is being done and you look at the magnitude of it, and you start to go through and calculate the damage that's being done, what we have right now is actually a fairly good match at a macro level for what back of the envelope seems to be necessary. And as you say, there will be more support there if needed. And markets are taking a step back and saying, okay, we're not going to have a depression. The pandemic is being brought under control. Economically, we're doing what needs to be done. So we're not going to have a depression. We're certainly going to have a recession. And right now, the market is trying to figure out how bad that recession is going to be. And that's why we're still having volatility. But that's why the market has bounced back, because it's no longer pricing in the depression. It's pricing in some tough times that will ultimately get through. Now for the so third part in terms of, you, of that, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it, I the third part. Go to the third part, please. Yeah, for the third part of your question, oh. a lot of the fear and that third part was, what does this mean for the future? And the way I normally get asked that question is, does this mean we're going to see inflation take off because the Fed is dumping so much money into the economy? Does this mean the deficit and the debt are out of control? Does this mean the economy is going to collapse because of that? And setting aside the deficit and the debt for the moment, which we'll get to, what we're doing here, what the federal government is doing with its fiscal stimulus and what the Fed is doing, they're not putting more money into the system. They're replacing money that's being taken out of the system. So the argument for this generating inflation is, oh, there'll be more money in the system. No, there won't. Pretty much this is just replacing what is being taken out of the system. So I don't see inflation being an issue in the medium to short in the short to medium term for monetary reasons. We may see some inflation for supply restricted reasons, but that's different than what people are talking about. So no, I'm not worried about monetary inflation in the short to medium term. In the longer term, we're certainly going to have the deficit and we've got to wrestle with that. But to a large extent, this is something that just has to be done and we will deal with it. And I don't think it will continue after the crisis because we can't afford it. So in that sense, I think the problem will be self-limiting. 
And what ultimately in the bigger picture, what is the impact um, as the debt to GDP grows? Is it, in your view, is it ever really a concern or is there a way to, to pay it back or deal with it um, so it doesn't have some longer term or lasting effects going years out? Well, I think, first of all, no one can know for certain, but the, the consensus seems to be among the economic community that yes, you know, the Fed monetizing the deficit will ultimately result in inflation. And certainly theoretically, that is very hard to refute, but I would say one word about that, Japan. Japan has been doing this for 30 years. Europe has been doing it for about a decade. And not only is inflation not a problem, they're still wrestling with deflation. So I understand the theory, I get it, but the empirical facts suggest that it doesn't have to be a problem. And I suspect that's more tied to demographics than anything else. So I'm not really worried about it. As far as the debt goes, I can make a good argument that the Fed should simply forgive the debt that it holds. In one fell swoop, a big part of the debt goes away. Because remember, the Fed holds it. And if you think about it, when the Treasury is paying interest on the debt the Fed holds, the Fed then there, therefore then returns that interest to the Treasury. So in a sense, that debt isn't really there anyway. So I think it's a solvable problem. It will require some thinking out of the box, but we've demonstrated that the Fed and the Treasury are willing to do that. So no, I'm not too worried about it. So as you look out to second quarter earnings and beyond, it seems like when companies start to report that, you know, everything I've read and, you know, you even said that it might not be a friendly environment. What does that look like? And does that um, force us into potentially another drawdown in the markets? Look, I know, you know, I know, I know you're just forecasting here and I get that. Um, so there's no, you know, like, this isn't a definitive thing, but it would seem to me, is that the next leg down before we kind of get this in order? Or do you think that that is just something that's already been factored in at this point? I think you nailed it. I think companies are going to, I think the second quarter is going to be a disaster. First of all, because it genuinely is going to be a disaster. But second of all, because companies are going to take this chance to throw every mistake they've made into earnings and write it off and blame it on the virus. This is a wonderful chance to kind of clean your books off of all the stuff you've wanted to write off but haven't had a chance to. So I think quarter two is going to be a disaster in and of itself, but also because we're going to see a lot of creative bookkeeping. That being the case, I mean, right now the market is riding high on the idea that, okay, all of this is under control. And as I've said, that's not the case for the pandemic. We're moving in the right direction. We will get it under control, but we're not quite there yet. And for the economy, we're going to see a lot of headlines about the teething troubles, about businesses going bust, and then we're going to see the earnings come in, and it's going to look like the end of the world. So yeah, I think we, I would not be at all surprised if we got another pullback at that point. We could even retest the lows. Although, as I say, I don't expect to go below that because I don't see a depression coming. Okay, well, that's, I think that's obviously um, somewhat soothing for for me and others that are listening because I, I think I told you earlier, I was listening to Howard Stern uh, interview Rosie O'Donnell today and they, they think they see bread lines and so for all of you that listen to that, is that, that's where you get your economic information from, probably not the best place. 
<laughs> say that. So let me just kind of one more, two more questions, Brett. Um, I don't want this to go on too long, and I know that you're busy, et cetera, and it is a, it is a holiday. Um, let's get your thought on the global economy. You know, how does China and Europe factor into all this? And is there any kind of decoupling that goes on where the U.S. can actually move forward if these other, you know, if Europe and China can't? Can we actually make it and have some normalcy without them? Or is it really just one big, you know, happy family? And if one piece of it isn't doing well, the rest of it will suffer. Well, one of the things we're taking away from this crisis is that globalization was already starting to recede. I think it's going to recede much faster now because we've seen nationalism come up. We've seen um, different countries competing for medical supplies. And even more importantly, we're starting to see supply chains. Companies are not looking at supply chains as being economically optimized anymore. Now they're optimizing around robustness, survivability. In other words, if you're Tim Cook and you found out, first of all, your China supply, supply chain can be blown up with a tweet. Second of all, it can be blown up by a virus. Don't you want your supply chain a little bit closer, a little bit less vulnerable? You know, and if Apple's doing that, every single company in the world is doing that. And as you pull these economic links back, you're necessarily going to see economies start to decouple. Now, the U.S. remains uniquely well-positioned in this because we are still the long, largest consumer market. We are still the largest economy. We can continue to prosper even if other areas of the world start to go down because we're, we're the least exposed to the rest of the world of any of the major economies. So, yes, we can continue to prosper even if Europe can't make it, even if China slows down we can still do, continue to do well. Okay. Um, so let's wrap it up because we've gone a little longer than I wanted to. Um, any, uh, any final big picture things that come to mind that uh, you think people should be aware of? The one thing I would say about this is there's been a lot of talk about, no, this is a unique and different situation. I don't believe that to be the case. It's certainly unique, you know, in the sense that we haven't seen this in decades. It's certainly severe and that it will change things. But to, but to go from there to say, you know, companies are never going to make money again. People are never going to go out to dinner again. I simply don't think that's the case. I think this is a lot more like 9-11, which, if you remember, was the horrible, exogenous shock that came out of nowhere. Nobody knew what was happening. Nobody knew how it was gonna play out and everybody stayed home. And over time, people came back out and the economy came back to life. Now this is obviously bigger than that. It's gonna take longer, but we will get back to normal. It's not the end of the world and we will get through this. Great, well, Brad, that's really helpful. I just wanna thank you for uh, taking the time. And uh, for anybody who has an interest, you can follow Brad and his blog. It's called the Independent Market Observer. That's the independent market observer. And also, you know, he is a, you know, he is, does show up on CNBC and Bloomberg and other uh, mediums all the time. Um, so you can catch him there if you're glued to the TV like some of us are sometimes. Brad, thank you very much and uh, happy Easter. Great interview, Mike. You too.